0: This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 11th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Mountain Village to consider new hotel development, a day in the life of a miner with Vinton Cole, one book, one canyon, chases snow, and a mountain weather forecast. A new hotel may be coming to Mountain Village. It includes a mix of There'll be at least 50 hotel
1: rooms and then branded residents and um, condominiums. Um, they have a pretty significant sort of landscape buffer around the property. It also includes a restaurant and a spa and a
0: bar, and some um, amenity spaces that are kind of typical for a branded um, hotel. That's Michelle Haynes, Director of Planning and Development Services and Housing for Mountain Village. And it's right neck adjacent to the gondola
1: and part of the village center.
0: Next week, Mountain Village Town Council will meet to discuss the application for the development. According to the development application, there will also be a wetland corridor walking trail connecting the gondola and the Village Pond Plaza, and rather than maximizing construction on the land, it will integrate with neighboring properties, create open space and view corridors, and hold areas for public space. Haynes notes the public hearing next week is the first in a three-step process for the PUD development and will be in collaboration with the town's design review board. What's unique about a plan unit development is that
1: Um, a a developer can ask for variations to the community development code. And those variations can be wide-ranging. Frequently, one of those variations is height, but also uh, there could be variations to the design review criteria. So in exchange for considering variations to the community development code, there are two kind of big things that happen. One is the provision of community benefits. And so what what is the town receiving in exchange for offering these uh, waivers and variances? And the other is to demonstrate uh, general conformance with our comprehensive plan. And our comprehensive plan is essentially our community
0: vision and our roadmap. All those elements, Haynes says, makes the application a complicated one.
1: Because you'll see essentially a
0: subdivision
1: application, a density transfer and rezone application, design review application, and then this um weighing of community benefits and uh C D C variations. So it's quite complex and it's a relatively large parcel in a very key location
0: in the mountain village with high visibility. So it's it's a big it's a big application. But even with the somewhat complicated nature, Haynes says if the project goes forward, it will bring diversity to the bed base in the region. With this
1: hotel, they are agreeing to keep all of their hotel units as one condominium unit so it would it would feel more like a traditional hotel. So although on this property there'll be a component of hotel and a component of branded residences that are rentable and then we'll have condominiums. Um, It is providing a kind of
0: a hotel inventory that doesn't exist today. With such a complex project, the town is looking for community input and comment.
1: Any community member can provide any kind of comment that they want. You know, some support it and some don't support it and Some people are concerned about trails and other people are concerned about view sheds. Others are ecstatic about the idea of a branded hotel. I mean, I've seen um, comments across the gamut and that's the purpose of a public hearing is that the public can come and, um, and state their mind around uh, what what they want to see and whether they like it and whether they think that some things
0: need to be different. The full application material is available to view at townofmountainvillage.com. There will be a public hearing about the development at Mountain Village's Town Council meeting on Thursday, February 17th, beginning at 2 p.m. Members of the community are encouraged to submit written comment or attend the meeting virtually or in person. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. With the Super Bowl on Sunday, it's football on a day in the life of a minor with a touch of basketball. Telluride High School's Finton Cole
2: brings the latest.
0: Look my eyes, can't touch this.
2: This is Finton Cole on your sports update. The Rams and the Bengals have punched their tickets to the Super Bowl. But the Rams have the upper hand. Joe Burrow is about to twist his ankles due to the Rams' defense being all over him from all directions. The Bengals might be the first team to be shut out in the Super Bowl. Ouch. The boys' high school basketball team lost their road game against the Ignacio Bobcats 57 42, one to the Ridgeway Demons 50 42, one to the Nukla Mustangs 63 46 and lost to the Mancos Blue Jays 79-52. This is the first time this season that the boys' basketball team has had two consecutive wins, but they also lost against the Dove Creek Bulldogs 57-48 and are out of playoff contention despite having another game tomorrow against the North Fork Miners, which Nugget Hunting High School will get the win. The girls' high school basketball team lost their games against the Ignacio Bobcats 89-2 and to the Nucla Mustangs, 56-14. to And lost to the Mancos Blue Jays, 64-9. They are out of playoff contention and last in the league. So, in my opinion, I don't think they're going to win any games this year. However, Nuclea is fifth in the league. We're still at the bottom of our basketball leagues, as only the top four teams make the playoffs. For the boys, Ignacio is number four. Dove Creek is number three. Ure is number two. And Mancos is number one. For the girls... Dolores is number four, Mangos is number three, Ignacio is number two, and Dove Creek is number one. That's your sports updates for the week. I'm Fenton Cole reporting live from Telluride High School, and we'll see you next week.
0: What is the future of skiing and ski culture? That's the big question writer Heather Hansman sets out to answer in her new book, Powder Days, Ski Bums, Ski Towns, and the Future of Chasing Snow. The Wilkinson Public Library recently announced Powder Days as the 2022 One Book, One Canyon read. KOTO's Matt Hoyche spoke with Hansman earlier this winter about the book and her journey in skiing.
3: Heather, I'm going to start off with an open-ended question because this book, it's, it's, a, it's a wild book in that it's like part memoir, part journalism, part like major philosophical treatise on skiing. I mean, you really, you really get in there. And so I just, I'm going to start off with an open question. We're going to see where it goes. What role has skiing played in your life?
4: That's really kind of at the heart of the book. This idea that, um, and I guess to give a little background, I'm somebody, I'm from the East Coast originally. I moved to Colorado to the Vale Valley when I was 21 to kind of chase this idea of being a ski bum and working in the mountains. And that one kind of arbitrary decision to kind of like, you know, cause I had been obsessed with skiing as a kid really has shaped my entire life since then. And that question at the heart of that, this idea of why something is sort of inherently stupid and pointless as skiing could kind of grip hold so tightly for me and for so many people as kind of the thread that wove through this this book, which is about kind of this idea of being a ski bum and living the dream and then why it's not always so dreamy. It felt important too to kind of like acknowledge the dark sides of that and the kind of not as shiny sides of that and how that can lead into this like constant sense of chase and this really hard kind of comparison factor. You know, one of the really hard things about for me, when I was living in a ski town, it was kind of like you look around and it seems like everyone else is kind of on this constant cycle of achieving and doing more and going harder and getting better and that kind of looking around and being like, wait, am I not as good as everyone else?
3: Well, I mean, that's like the, there's this like tension throughout the entire book, which I feel like is you saying skiing is this magical, spiritual thing from this first person experience you've had that it is this thing that has materially changed your life. And then also looking at all the dark sides of it, both in terms of the social structures we build around it, in terms of adrenaline seeking, and and kind of the the negative hyper masculinity that builds up around it, the exclusion of people of color. I mean, all of these things that really make skiing culture toxic in a lot of ways. And you're you're battling with these two things, saying there's this thing I really love. There's all these things that are wrong with it. And then you you know you also have this whole section on climate change and how that is just in the background, really amping everything up. So just after doing all this reporting, I mean, what is your sense of what the skiing culture and the skiing industry needs to do to just be a sustainable industry and, and have another 50, 100 years of of doing this thing?
4: I think that's a really crucial question right now. And I think I, I appreciate that you kind of see that tension because I feel like that's something that I, I struggled with and I still struggle with. But I think in a lot of ways, skiing feels a little anemic right now, both in terms of You know like addressing climate in terms of what the pathways are into the sport in terms of who gets to access it because of pricing and who feels welcome too and i think that that like any kind of big structural change it kind of has to come from everywhere it has to come from brands it has to come from the community it has to you know like i don't have a good easy answer to that because i don't think it's an easy question (laughs) there's no one kind of like oh let's flip the switch and we'll be good
3: And I couldn't tell this, I finished the book and I actually, I don't know the answer to this question. So I wanna know your answer. I mean, to what extent is this book almost a eulogy for the ski bum? And to what extent is it trying to chart a path forward? I mean, how optimistic are you about the future of the ski bum? Or do you just see a world where skiing just becomes dominated by upper middle-class families going on vacation for the weekend?
4: One of the things that was most interesting to me about doing the research is that pretty much everyone I talked to regardless of their age, was like, you know, I was the last generation that could really be a ski bum. I feel like there's always this kind of like, well, I'm just the last one who got in when the getting was good. So like, who's to say that that's not happening now too? And I think there are, you know, there are pressures on it now that feel a lot harder than they have in the past, I think, even just in my experience. And I think there are real factors that make it that, you know, like climate and that's the tension too, right? And all of this, even though I know it's dumb and struggling, I'm still obsessed with it.
0: And there are, yeah,
4: it's like, I don't want that to disappear.
0: That was author Heather Hansman speaking about her new book, Powder Days, Ski Bums, Ski Towns, and the Future of Chasing Snow. Hansman will be in Telluride in March to discuss her book at the library. Sign up at telluridelibrary.org to receive a free copy of the book. After robbing a bank, there's nothing better than skis to make your getaway. At least that's true if you're participating in the Butch Cassidy Ski Chase. The Ski Fun Day will feature 1K and 3K races for kids, with 5K and 15K races for adults, both in Classic and Skate Divisions. The Butch Cassidy Ski Chase and Nordic Fun Day will take place on Saturday, February 12th, starting at 9 a.m. at Priest Lake. If you're a seasoned backcountry skier, sending it for the first time, a hiker, ice climber, or cross-country skier, it's important to know about snowpack, snow science, and safety in the backcountry. Next week, the Telluride Mountain Club, Mountain Trip, Telluride Mountain Guides, San Juan Outdoor Adventures, and Telluride Helitracks are coming together for the second backcountry chat of the season. This month, the chat will feature several locals with the annual Close Calls Forum. Through the discussion, participants will hear real-life incidents that occurred around the Telluride backcountry. Organizers note the localized, personalized, and thoughtful evening will bring truly revelatory information. The backcountry chat will take place at the Wilkinson Public Library on Thursday, February 17th from 6 to 8 p.m. It's been days, weeks even, since there was real snow in the forecast. Still, across the state, snowpack is 100% of normal, with some variation depending on where you go. That's according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture Natural Resources Conservation Service. Snowpack in Colorado ranges from 89% of normal in the upper Rio Grande to 110% of normal in the Gunnison River Basin. Locally, the combined San miguel Dolores, animas san Juan River Basin is at 97% of normal. But just because snowpack is relatively on track, reservoir storage is more variable. And officials note that multi-year drought can impact snowmelt runoff. Dry soil conditions going into winter can reduce stream flows. Gunnison may have the highest snowpack, but it comes in lowest with reservoir storage. The basin reservoir is at 59% of normal. The combined San Miguel, Dolores, Animas, and San Juan River Basin comes in at 64% of normal. The South Platte Basin has the highest storage at 107% of normal. Statewide reservoir storage is just under 80% of average. Governor Jared Polis is throwing his support behind a package of bills he says will help Colorado become one of the top 10 safest states in the country. KOTO's Scott Franz has more.
3: His plan will spend more than $113 million over two years on several initiatives, including police officer recruiting. Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelly says the money will help hire a younger, more diverse workforce. We've had record numbers of resignations and retirements from policing. This is not just a Colorado issue, it's across the country. And we're not recruiting and retaining as we should be. Lawmakers are also vowing money for so-called co-responder programs, which allows healthcare workers to respond to calls with police. Not everyone is on board with the plan. The state's association of police chiefs sent Polis a letter criticizing the proposals. They blame recent laws he signed for the rising crime rates. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol.
0: As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, we're heading south. The Ute Mountain Ute tribe is moving towards an economy driven by renewable energy production, after historically relying on fossil fuels. The tribe already supplements its electricity with solar power. And now, as KSJD's Sophia Stewart-Rossi reports, it's also looking into hydroelectric projects.
5: The Ute Mountain Ute Tribe is one of three federally recognized tribes of the Ute Nation in southwest Colorado. And the natural scenery of the tribe's lands is dreamy. Light winds breeze by cliffs, and there are canyons of all different shades that rise sharply out of the high desert landscape. In fact, the region is known for its steep mesas. The reservation borders Mesa Verde National Park. And at the southernmost tip of the park proper, there's a valley that drops down more than 1,000 feet. A valley that holds a profound amount of renewable energy potential. This particular area is the planned site of a hydroelectric project that could produce more than 600 megawatts of electricity. Scott Clow is the Ute Mountain Ute's Environmental Programs Director.
1: The fascinating thing about hydroelectric projects is that they last a really long time. So,
5: The project being considered for Ute Mountain Ute Reservation would involve what's called a closed-loop pumped storage hydropower and it acts similarly to a giant battery because it can store power and then be switched on and off as electricity is needed. The project is a configuration of two water reservoirs at different elevations connected by a long pipe that passes through a turbine. Think of it as the power of gravity. It can generate power as water moves from the top reservoir to the bottom reservoir and through the turbine in the process. But a lot of energy will be needed to bring the water back up to the top reservoir to do the whole system again. And the type of energy to do that makes a big difference with a project like this. Professor Gigi Richard is the director of Four Corners Water Center.
1: And so in order to make it truly renewable, then that energy to do the pumping needs to be coming from a renewable source.
5: Richard is not a part of the Ute Mountain Ute project, but she is an expert in water in the Four Corners region. And she says there's been problems with drier water years in the underground water aquifers that rely on precipitation to stay around. She explains if you dig a hole and hit water, that's a water table. And some water tables are sustained from rain and snow that seeps through the ground, something the Four Corners region doesn't get a lot of. And pumping that water out for a hydroelectric project could actually be problematic under dry conditions.
1: In this case, you're taking groundwater, pumping it to the surface where some of it may be evaporated into the atmosphere. So it's a net loss to the groundwater system.
5: Bernadette Cuthair is the director of planning and development for the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe. And she says they're looking into how they can decrease water evaporation rates in dry areas and make this project last as long as possible. And what what I asked them to do was study floating uh, solar panels on the reservoirs. Cut Hair says based on a survey released to tribal members in 2011, they're working on making sure members are informed and open to easing hesitation to new technologies. The Ute Mountain Ute tribe has a legacy with the oil and gas industry and they have oil fields in the Four Corners region. Historically, the tribe has relied on revenue from fossil fuels like natural gas and oil. But that revenue has been decreasing for a long time, and the tribe is looking into renewable energy, like the hydroelectric project. Scott Close says they are still in the planning stages of this project and doesn't know yet what type of energy will be used to pump water between the reservoirs. Either it be fossil fuels or renewable energy like solar from their solar field. But he does know it'll be cost effective and it'll help make the tribe's energy sources financially profitable again.
1: Decision makers here are constantly challenged with how do we get more for our people? How do we get more for our people? And this is it. You know, we're like we're trying to backfill that void that was created by fossil fuels.
5: For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, I'm Sophia Stewart-Rossi in Toya, Colorado.
0: The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 10 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Saturday should be sunny during the day and clear at night with a high near 40 degrees and a low around 15. Sunday expect sunny skies with a high in the mid 40s. Sunday night calls for clear skies with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, February 11th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story, idea, or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.